Okay. We welcome you this morning to Sunday morning. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. This morning in week two of Defeating the Giants, I'm going to be speaking on the God of the turnaround. Amen? It's not over yet. Someone say, it's not over yet. I'm going to read to you from the book of Exodus, the 15th chapter, which happens to be one of the places we're passing by this morning. After Moses and the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, Moses said, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. Someone say, the Lord is my strength. And he is my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And I love this final verse. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Amen? And from Psalms 107.43, it says, They will see in our history, everyone say history, the faithful love of the Lord. The rock that we're throwing this morning, not throwing literally, don't want to hurt any of you, that's sitting right here is the rock of the love of God, the providence of God, and the power of God. Amen? Sometimes that's the best way to see giants come down, to pick up the love, the power, and the providence of God. Let's pray. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit in this room. Jesus, this is your church. This is your people. And this is Holy Spirit's room. So we welcome you. Speak to us what we don't even say, Lord, through the spoken word. Whisper into our hearts, into my brothers and sisters' hearts. Speak to them. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what you do best. Lift up, my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your divine intervention in my own life in this sermon. I give you glory and honor and praise forever. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. This morning, I'm coming, and I came here to preach this morning. If you want to hear me teach, come on Wednesday night. I'm coming this morning for the faithful. I'm coming this morning for the weary. I'm coming this morning for the unanswered prayers that seem to be weighing in the balance. I'm coming for the intimidated. I'm coming for those facing things that look uncrossable. I'm coming for those that subconsciously you are teetotaling on giving up. I'm coming for those that are fighting things they don't know they're going to how to get through. And I've got good news for you. He's not done yet. It's not over till God says it's done. Somebody give him a shout of praise. So many awesome and fantastic sport moments. I wish I had showed some this morning. I could have. I don't have time. But when the tide turned, there's some of my favorite. Look up five best Hail Mary moments in America. And it's the moments when half the stadium left because their team was losing. They were starting to turn the lights on. But on the way home, someone say on the way home. They heard on the radio that someone threw a Hail Mary pass. If you don't know what that means, it means the last-ditch attempt at the end of a game where completion is considered unlikely, but some man of God or a woman of God in other sports throw a Hail Mary pass. I want to tell you something. Sometimes we check out before God is done. We give up. We turn the lights out. We leave a service, and we heard God just moved mightily in that last 10 minutes. Are we here? I gave up on him or her, and then we hear through the grapevine, 
God picked up him or her and turned their life around because he's the God of the turnaround. Somebody give him praise this morning. I can't even mention turnaround without defaulting to one of my favorite analogies and illustration written by the great Devon Franklin, a spirit-filled Hollywood producer. Yes, they do exist. And in his book, Produced by Faith, he speaks about a thing called development hell in Hollywood. The idea is that when they picked up a script, they first they loved it, but then all of a sudden the studio paid millions of dollars most of the time to develop it, to get actors to learn it. And filmmakers were working so hard on it. And then all of a sudden, the studio and the filmmakers could not see anything developing in the story. It was a good idea, but it just didn't work. You ever had a boss? You ever had a friend? You ever had somebody to say, I know God's doing something in your life, but I just don't see it? How many are thankful that he's the turnaround God and that he picks us up? It's called development hell. And what they do is they put this script in turnaround and they just say we don't see anything in because we've invested in it but we just don't see anything happening in this story reminds me about a lot of our lives and the opinions of others the haters come on somebody say it's a good idea but we can't crack the script the irony the blow your mind realization is that some of these movies are the biggest movies that you have watched on the screen. Forrest Gump was put into turnaround. Come on, somebody. He was put there, and another Universal Studios came along and said, you know what? That other studio didn't see anything happening, but I see something in this story. I know that first studio still hates themselves. Come on. Forrest Gump, at the writing of Devon Franklin's book, had maxed $677 million. Slumdog Millionaire, the same thing. Twilight, the same thing. But my personal favorite is Frank Pierce passed on Obi-Wan Kenobi, come on, and Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leah, and Darth the Vader, come on, you are not my father. Anyway, passed on all of these things, and it went into turnaround. How is that possible? But then another studio came along and said, I see something with Obi. I see something with Darth. I see something with Leah. I'm going to pick this up and make something out of it. And the millions upon billions of dollars that Star Wars has made today proves that when others walk away, God is a turnaround God. Come on, somebody. And then the last one, my very personal favorite. I am all the way with this one. Lord of the Rings was put into turnaround, into development hell. I see nothing with the Gandalf. I see nothing with the Hobbit and their second and third breakfast. I see nothing with my precious. I see nothing with this. And it was put into turnaround. But then, all of a sudden, Universal sold it, but New Line picked it up 
at the last writing of this book, it was in billions of dollars, and that was before the Hobbit series. I love that even more powerful is the truth that God is the greatest author of turnaround. I love that he can look into our lives in moments that others say nothing will come out of that. I see no value or potential in that, that God says, you know what? I'm working and writing a masterpiece. I'm weaving all the pieces together. I'm going to pick this up. And the divine orchestrator says, I'm going to turn this man or woman's life around. I'm going to turn this situation around. Somebody give God a shout of praise. The author and the finisher of our faith. I love when others say, I see no potential. I see no purpose in this story. That the great storyteller, the God of the turnaround says, you haven't seen what I have planned next. I love that we stand often beside others and they ask us, how did you make it through that alcoholism? How did you make it through that divorce? How did you make it through that bankruptcy? How did you make it through that season of your life? How did you have strength to go on? And in those moments, it is not Denzel that we give accolades to, nor Steven Spielberg, nor uh, Mel Gibson or Peter Jackson or any of the great producers. But we say, look toward the center of the heaven in your mind and imagine the one who sits on the throne, the great I am that I am. He is the one who pulled me through what seemed to be impossible. Can I get an amen in this house? He specializes. Look at your neighbor and say he specializes in things thought impossible. I also love about God that he specializes in keeping mercies. Sometimes you need divine intervention but sometimes you just need keeping mercies to get to work on time. You just need keeping mercies to get out of bed on a Monday. Come on, somebody. You need keeping mercies to keep paying your bills. Keeping mercy to keep dinner on the table. Keeping mercy to balance all your requirements and your responsibilities in life. But the Bible says that we are changed from glory to glory. But the two gets a little honky sometime. Come on, somebody. The two gets a little difficult sometime but God says I not only turn big situations around but I turn around the mundane days when you see me doing nothing I turn that as well somebody give the Lord a shout of praise this morning and I love I love Monica that he turns it he doesn't have to trade it before there was currency and still today some people trade services but back before there was currency people would try I'll come I'll come shuck your corn and uh, you mow my lawn or whatever and you would trade services I love that God is not a man page I love that he doesn't have to resort to lowering himself he doesn't have to trade anything for anything else. He simply comes in. In the beginning, the world was full of void and chaos. The create word in Hebrew is bara, and it means God came in and turned it all around with his creative power. Do I have anyone in this room that God has ever turned a situation with his creative power? That he brought the prodigal and made her a preacher. He took the barren and he gave them a child. He 
took the heartbroken and he healed them. He took the sinner and he saluted them and said, now you will forever be more called saint. He took those who would grieve and we see a power coming out of those with great loss. A voice rises out of the wilderness and people say, where did you get your strength from? You will not give accolades to a university. You will not give accolades to another person, but you will say it was in the middle of the fiery trial when God turned it all around. Come on, somebody. That's my strength. Look at your neighbor and say, he's a turnaround God. Things can turn around on a dime, and they often do, but with God, he doesn't need a dime. I want to ask you this morning, have we reached conclusions about things we're so certain that we're unable to conceive any other alternate solution in our life? Have we arrived at a conclusion about our borders, our perimeters, what we are capable of and what we are not? You see, it takes just as much, just as much exercise to prophesy to your future as it does to rehearse your disappointments. I'm going to say that again. It takes just as much exercise and strength to prophesy to your future as it does. You just keep rehearsing your disappointments, rehearsing your shame, rehearsing your failures. The room is just sucked up with a lack of oxygen. But the minute you begin to prophesy, I'm not done yet. And my situation's not done yet. I serve the God of the turnaround. I'm going to tell you the word of God is a two-edged sword. It has a boomerang effect. When you speak it, it comes right back on you. I've declared the word over others and felt I walked away the one that was utterly blessed. Because when you speak the word of God, things will change. Give God a hand clap of praise. The turnaround God was seen so powerfully in the book of Exodus I read from in the beginning. God tells Moses after the plagues, after that miraculous divine intervention, take the people of God and head out and camp at Pihatha by the sea. Look at your neighbor by the sea. And now what God went on to tell Pharaoh that he didn't tell Israel. I was telling one of my elders this week, do you think God tricks us? He goes, I don't think God tricks us, but I think he leaves out some important information. <laughs> you ever felt that way? He said, I just think he leaves out some important information. But he told him, he said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Here I've done all this miraculous, got you through all these plagues, you and the million strong of the Israelites. But now I'm going to harden his heart and I'm going to call him out after you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not good. I'm going to call him out. And God did that. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. 600 chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and soldiers to be over them and many others. Remember, God said it to Moses, but he didn't tell it to the Israelites. He said, I will bring the Egyptians out so I can openly deal them. I love a God who is not afraid to call out my enemy. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a praise this morning. I love a God that's not afraid to call out my enemies. I love a God that says, I'm going to do this open. It says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He doesn't go in a corner and just serve some little tea, your little napkin, little paper plate. Going to do this in the dark so the enemy doesn't know I'm for you. No, when God prepares the table, he does it openly in the presence of your people and of your enemies. Which means when God chooses to bless you, he's going to tell the world, I told you it's not 
over yet. I told you I would display my glory. I told you I didn't bring my people of Israel or you out of the things he brought us out to kill us. Sometimes don't we think that? You brought me out of all that, but now you're going to kill me. You're going to drown me. God said, I'm bringing out your enemies to drown them. Someone give Jesus a hand clap of praise. And here's the deal. Things change, and they often do. But what we know and rely on is the love that God has for us. It doesn't matter the change in your story. It doesn't matter the change in the world. It doesn't matter the change in our church. It doesn't matter any of the changes. God shows up in the middle of changes that he already knows is going to happen. I'm speaking of our dear pastor going to heaven above the time and before the time any of us dream possible. But God said, I knew this was coming and nothing shall change my mind. When God makes up his mind, it doesn't matter how many pharaohs change their mind about you. It doesn't matter if it's your Aunt Betty or Uncle Bobby or your boss, Lucifer. Just kidding. Or whatever your boss's name. Just kidding. Just your boss is awesome. Your boss is awesome. That was not in my notes, people. All Egypt will know that I'm the Lord. And here they were, and they're fussing, what am I going to do? And God says, why are you complaining to me? Move forward. Look at your name and say, move forward. We complain, and we complain. Things get murky. We feel like all of a sudden the Egyptians were coming behind them. The Red Sea was before them. You know the story. But God says, I'm going to show my glory. My purpose shall come to pass. And all that time that they're complaining and murmuring, God is saying, it's time for you to stop complaining and crying out to your BFF and your boss and your worker in the break room. Come on, somebody. It's time to say, Lord, I know you're the turnaround God, and I'm going forward. There is nothing behind me, and forward is the only way for me today. Someone give him a shout of praise. And they said, we should, was there no graves in Egypt, Moses? Doesn't that sound like you and I? If he's going to kill us, you brought us out to kill us. Oh, I said that to the Lord, drying my hair at Lee University when I heard that the Hank Davis, who I'd been divorced from for three years, was headed to Lee University. And I said, Lord God, have you brought me here to kill me? You just brought me here to kill me. You want to humiliate me in front of everyone at that time at Lee University? I was the only divorced person, and someone made sure I knew about that. Um, About 900 students. That's okay. I'm way beyond that and ministered to most of the people that ever said about me. Come on, somebody. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. God, you brought me. And he sang an old song to me. I didn't teach you to swim to let you drown. I didn't bring you this far to leave you. Trust me, says the Lord. Well, it went on. It was the first year I'd been divorced. It went on two more years. And sometimes we feel like, because I'd t- gotten out of a marriage, married to a cocaine addict. That man died. A new man was born at Calvary. But I'd gotten out of that. Sometimes you get out of something. You think, but this is the thing that's going to take me out. Can you and I use the same faith in the moment we're in right now when we praised him for taking us out of the last thing? Can we raise up in the next faith and say, I know you didn't bring me out of the wildernesses in my life and the graves and all the other things to leave me. I know you're the God of the turnaround and I'm going to move forward by your grace. Somebody praise him this morning. Hallelujah. And the cloud by day, as you know, and a fire by night, the God of the turnaround kept their enemy away from them. I think this is the cool thing. 
the God of the turnaround, sometimes you can't really see him because the visibility is kind of blocked. Because the cloud of the cloud of, uh, by day and the fire by night kind of decreased visibility between them and their enemies, but it also kind of decreased visibility of other things. I'm going to tell you something about God's protection. A lot of times God is going before you and he's blocking you seeing into the future. And you get frustrated about it and you get angry about it. I do too. And you want God to tell it all. I have the best prophets in the world in my life on my board of regents. The best that their words have never fallen to the ground. But they will never predict the future because God is not predicting the future. He may warn you. He may encourage you. He may exhort you. But many times he blocks the details because if you knew them, you'd mess them up. Can I get an amen? If you're going to meet Mr. Wright, you'd mess up. If Sweet Bailey had known about Noah, she'd just gone right over to him about two years ago. Hey, Noah, the Lord told me I'm going to be your wife. Let's just get together and have coffee. He's like, whoa, whoa. You know, when you get the details of things, you get it into your own hands. And you go to mess it up. I had a divine moment, I can't say this week, but a divine appointment with someone who owns a lot of property. It was crazy. It was weird. It was awesome. But I'm going to tell you, I like those kind of setups instead of me trying to market myself out there. Come on, somebody. I like the divine setups. When God, I say, God, what time should I go to this appointment? I don't know. You pick. Well, God, there's this is the way I talk. Well, Lord, there's, I, they said Thursday or Friday. Well, let's go Thursday. Well, Lord, should I go late afternoon? I like to put everything off. It's just me. I like to get everything done. No, no, I think you should go this time. That time I landed at this professional office. A gentleman came down I have not seen in 25 years who owns a lot of property. I needed to talk to him. And I don't even know where he is with the Lord, but I do know this. He said to me, he didn't call me pastor because we grew up together, but he said, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody bigger than you and I got us here together today. Come on, somebody. And that's it. Wouldn't you rather go? God orchestrated. Synergy is when God works with you. But God kept them hidden. God is in front of you so you don't mess up the future. God is behind you. The Bible says he's your rear guard. Someone say rear guard, which means he's coming up behind you. Why? Because he's elbowing back the enemies. Oh, you could embrace them and dance with them and entertain them and bring them in and party with them, figuratively speaking. Or you can let God say, I'm going to block all the enemies behind you. I'm going to let my glory be a shield. I'm going to let my fire by day, my cloud at night. Come on, somebody, give him a shout of praise. I love that so much. Look at your neighbor and say, he's the God of the turnaround. And so there they are in front of the Red Sea. And the God of the turnaround says to Moses, hang with me. Stretch your hand over the water. I don't know if I'd be in Moses at that time. I'd say, do, do we have any other options? Like, this is intense. A mean of them are complaining, going to, like, hang me up on that palm tree over there. And behind them are the Egyptians. And before me is the Red Sea. You know how deep this is, how vast, how wide it is in Egypt. Pastor Hank saw the Red Sea. I've never seen it. But he said, you know, don't God, don't you have something else? But what God was saying, he's saying to each of us this morning, you do the little thing and let me do the big thing. You do the little thing because Moses just saying this is so little to raise my rod. But by doing that is what you and I do. Because you say it, Lord, I'll do it. 
because you speak it, I'll do it. And when he did, God said, you do the little thing and I'll bring the wind. Did you know God says, the, the God of the turnaround, I have hell reserved in a place that no one knows. H-A-I-L, the one that comes from the sky. I have it reserved. So in the time of trouble, I call the hell out to do my work. I have snow built up in a place that no man knows, not even the dark angels. And when I need to pull the snow out, Lord God, don't let it come again this spring. Come on. When I need to pull the snow out, I'll speak to the snow. I think you and I can trust a God who has a storehouse hidden in the elements of snow and of hail. Somebody give him praise. What he was saying is you do the little thing and my wind will do the rest for you. Don't you love that? It's kind of like that sore that Courtney was talking about. You do the little thing. You forgive, lift your rod, I'll restore. You serve, I will move the mountain. You worship, I'll part the sea. You give with everything that you have, and I'll redeem that which was lost. You pray for someone who needs to come home and be saved. And as Stephen said in the book of Acts, God will move. He was preaching before the Sanhedrin. Look up his sermon. It's a masterpiece. And he said, God moves the boundaries of nations so that men may call on him. So if God has some people in Guatemala and he wants to change that border, he does it to get them into place. That's a God who can handle the prodigals in our lives. Somebody praise him this morning. Come on, someone give God a shout of praise. And at daybreak, God, if you'll come and help me, Josh, I'm not quite done. I've got two more places, but just set that ambience. At that place, God began to blow, and the sea parted. He did the little thing. God is speaking to you and I. He's the turnaround God, but he often asks you for something. Just be obedient. Just speak to that person at work. Just lift up your hand. Just be gracious. You see, the Bible goes on to say, Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. In the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. The floods. Someone say the floods. I love a turnaround God that it can be written about him with the Red Sea. Stood up like a heap. The deeps, the depths congealed in the sea, and they covered them. And he says, who is like you, O Lord, awesome and mighty? Here's the deal. You see, he was their rear guard, and they, he let them chase them. But when they came in the water after them, that's when God said, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And don't you love a God that speaks to your enemy like they're a little puppy dog? Come on, come on, come on, come right in after them. Woo, come on, come on. He kind of whistles. I'm not, I'm not able to whistle. We just had a miracle here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Follow them. And you're thinking they're going to kill me. And God says, no. Wait just a minute. And as God gets them to come across, at that moment, he breathed back with the same Ruha Kodesh. The Hebrews call it breath of God. And when he did, the waters began to come and the chariot wheels of Egypt got stuck in the mud. When God wants to give you a victory, he can cause the thing chasing you to get stuck in the mud and unable to perceive or pursue you. Come on, somebody give God a shout of praise in this house. Turn around, God. In the book of Esther, quickly this week we celebrated Purim. We're going to end with one place with Christ. Hang with me. We got this. Esther. 
there was a protagonist named Haman and the gallows had been built and you got the faithful and I'm speaking to the faithful people in this house and the faithful people Mordecai was faithful he has raised his cousin he had given his life but here she is in the palace and Haman has built the strong gallows on his own property to hang Mordecai and in that moment of doubt God says to you and I I will not forgive the faithful. I will not let my ear be deaf to your prayers. When the situation is out of control, make room for the providence of God. Today is for people that you wrestle with, you're not enough. Today is for people who feel vulnerable. Today is for people you've measured yourself against yourself and you found yourself wanting, but God has not found you wanting. You think you're insufficient. You think you found less than in yourself. Today is for all the Mordecais in this room. You are to believe that the God who gave the king a dream in the middle of the night woke him up, wouldn't let him sleep, and he began to search the annals of who had been faithful and the history of of his country. And he finds in that moment that the man that Haman is after is the very man that saved the king's life. I'm going to tell you God is big enough to wake up your boss. God is big enough to wake up your banker. God is big enough to wake up someone who can bless you. Somebody give the Lord a shout of praise. And the decree had been written that they would be destroyed. What decree are you believing today? Amanda, what decree are we believing today? Your best days are behind you? Because the decree was that all Israel would die. That's what the king was tricked into doing. The decree, maybe your life doesn't matter. The decree of you're never going to move past where you are, that you just had a bunch of pipe dreams. You're not enough. I'm going to tell you something early in ministry that I was very guilty of. I was always wanting to send someone else in to do the will of the Lord. When I was young, the pastor would call me up to pray. I'd just think, why didn't he call Betty? Betty is so beautiful. You know, Betty is so graced by the Lord. Betty came in here looking like the angels of God brought her in on a chair. Anybody ever been there? And I barely got here. I'm just here by grace. There's times in our life that we feel or we want to send someone else. I'm not worthy. You will never be worthy. You will never be worthy to preach. You'll never be worthy to pray for people at the altar. You'll never be worthy to do media. You're not even worthy to to clean the commode. Come on, somebody. But Jesus Christ made you worthy. Start measuring yourself against Calvary and the resurrection. Maybe the decree of fear. What gallows are you facing? Gallows is where they they used to hang people on that day. Maybe the gallows you feel that have been built against you is emotional stress, uncertainty about the future, feeling you're less than, your, your disaster in your life, a financial catastrophe, a loss of job, fear, disease, and those gallows seem to be figuratively choking you, a wrong diagnosis, and you think this is going to be the end of me. You forget that you serve the same turnaround God that not only parted the Red Sea, but also got in the middle of the book of Esther. And he gave Esther a divine strategy. Throw a dinner party. It sounds ridiculous, but we serve a God who loves and delights to partner with his people with natural elements. You question why God wants you to pray with that person. You question why you want to bake a cake for someone. Or you just want to encourage that person at the grocery store. I'm going to tell you, God loves to partner and the Bible 
Bible says in the book of James, if any of you lack wisdom, you need a divine strategy today with your family. You need a divine strategy in a situation. I need some divine strategy. Anybody with me? I need some divine strategy this week. I'm seeking God daily for the future of this church and where we will go from here as far as building, when this sails. I'm seeking God. But one thing I know, I'm not going to give up while I wait for the Lord to give strategy because his strategy moves nations and brings kingdoms to the knees. His strategy does what humanity cannot do. He is a God who knows how to play chess and to beat every king and queen with one swift boot. Somebody praise him in this house. You can stand all over the building. I'm going to tell you something. It took courage to stand against the Haman, but Esther found it. And as you know, Haman was hung on the same gallows he had built. I love it when God says, I'm going to drown your enemies. You see the concurrent thing? I didn't even, I'm telling you, I had another message. And last night at 1030, through wrestling with the Lord, he switched it. So I didn't even start working at this about 11 last night. But I knew it was of God. And I, have, I know it is of God this morning. But I want to tell you something. It took courage to stand against the Hamans of the world. It took courage for Winston Churchill to stand firm against the tide of popular opinion in his day. It took courage for Corrie ten Boom to hide the Jews in the time of Hitler's death camps. It took courage for William Wibberforce in England to tirelessly work against the persecution of our African-American brothers and sisters. They took courage, and you and I have got to take courage. Psalms 27 and 4 says, Proverbs 27 and 4, wait on the Lord, be strong, and take courage. So Someone say, take courage. And Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Listen, don't protect yourself out of destiny. When I was young in the ministry, I wanted to protect myself out of destiny. I thought if I did something, people would be judging me like on American Idol. That was a two. That was a three. That was a four. God help her. She'll get to 10 sometime when she's 150. And that fear of what other people said about me, what they thought about me, made me almost protect myself out of my destiny. Don't protect yourself out of your destiny. Say, I don't care what the end will be. I will be obedient to the name of the Lord. He's a turnaround God. Psalms 34, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help, their faces are radiant and they're never covered with shame. Someone say hallelujah. And if you know the story, this week Purim was celebrating Israel and the Israelites screamed out, Vini hafetzhu, Vini hafetzhu, which in Hebrew means the day that the opposite happened. The day that the table was set. The day that Haman had set the table and he was going to take God's people out. But God came in like a master chess player and said, uh-uh, 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 I don't think so. And God reached and turned the table around and said, the enemy will die by his own demise. These are my people. And Esther 9 and 1 said, on the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred. And in that moment, God overpowered their enemies. Somebody praise him in this house. If you've ever found yourself still standing after the enemy came seeking your slaughter, that's Purim. We celebrated Purim this week with Israel because the plans of the enemy was undone. And the same power that overpowered the enemy at the Red Sea and at the book of Esther in the book is the same power who's working for you.
Just lift your hand and praise him for a moment. I'll get my breath to finish this. Come on. Just lift your hand and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I honor you, Jesus. I thank you for every Red Sea that you've parted. I thank you, Lord, for every table you've turned. Lord Jesus, we recognize this morning that we don't even know a lot of the tables that you have turned. But we thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for it. The praise and worship team will come and join. We're going to do the speak the name of Jesus when I'm done here in just a moment to close this out. But listen to this. That's called a peripety. Everyone say peripety. My Hope House girls learned this. Peripety. Peripety is divine reversal. Someone say divine reversal. Egyptian are drowned in the same water they chased. Haman hangs him on self by the work of others on the one he thought he would hang, Mordecai. God turned it. But the greatest peripety of all time happened at the place called Calvary. The Bible says in Romans 5, bless your holy name, Lord Jesus Christ. Just as one through one man's sin entered the world, and death through that one man and all sin, just as one man named the first Adam, everyone say the first Adam, brought sin and death, so does the second Adam, Jesus Christ, bring righteousness to all. 1 Corinthians 6.15 says, For since by man came death, but man also came resurrection. For as in Adam all died, in Christ all shall be made alive. Someone say alive. For he has put all things under his feet. You see, this is what happened. He wore the victor's crown. I didn't even get to the sword, but he wore the victor's crown upon his head. In Matthew 29th verse of the last chapter, it says, They placed a crown of thorns on his head. And when they did, they plaited it, which means they pressed it as heavy as they could. And then they gave him a reed and they mocked him and they said hail the king of the Jews in mockery the greatest peripety of all time was 1 Corinthians 9 we know that those who run in a race receive a prize but run in a way that you can obtain it everyone competes but the crown that we're looking for is an imperishable crown. The earth can only hold or give you a crown that will fade and go away. But we are working for the crown that will never fade away in the presence of Jesus. Give him a hand. The greatest peripety, divine reversal, was on Calvary in his last words. Tell us, die! Which in the Greek is, it is finished. When he said that, it meant final payment. It's an accounting term in the Greek, which means it's done. It's not one of those loans where they say you better read the fine print. And you know, you signed to something and later found out you were charged a lot of other things. No, in Jesus on Calvary, he paid 100%. Hebrews 10 and 14 for by his offering, he made perfect. Someone say perfect. All. Someone say all. Those who are holy. So that Paul says in Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? This is the turnaround God. It's not done yet. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not also freely be given all things? Who 
shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. It is Christ who died and who is risen at the right hand of God, making intercession. My personal favorite, because Paul kind of discussed things like he was a Philadelphia lawyer. And then he stands up and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, someone say no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors and nothing in the heavens or below shall ever separate us from the love of Jesus. Give him one more praise before I finish. Hallelujah. And at the cross, it was finished. The lost are found, the greatest peripety of all time, that the son of the almighty God gave his life divine reversal came at resurrection morning which we'll celebrate just in a few weeks he wore the victor's crown listen to me darling check has a powerful song that one of my preaching buddies reminded me of yesterday every stronghold shall be broken every high thing must come down everything shall be overcome because he wore the victor's crown let me tell you the God of the turnaround the God who said it's not done yet yes the tomb was emptied and yes there was resurrection morning but I'm going to tell you this Jesus wore the victor's crown so you can stand today and say I serve the turnaround God come on somebody but listen to me I hate it when God leaves something but he did it I'm done almost hang with me because the soldiers said all hell king of the Jews and they struck him and they kept striking Come on, king of the Jews. While blood was profusely, his body was beaten beyond recognition, which you'll be reminded of soon at the seven places service. And if it just left there, of course, he resurrected. But I love the hymnists that record these songs that I believe all heaven said. When Jesus, after wearing the victor's crown, comes in and receives a beautiful crown from his father, I believe the heavens with the best voices from the beginning of time to now, with angels and cherubim singing, began to sing. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels just prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel, King of kings and Lord of lords. The bright morning star and throughout eternity he will be crowned the victor's crown, the turnaround God. I'm done preaching. Give him one more praise in this room. Come on, give him one more praise to Jesus. Jesus! 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 The Bible said he made a public display openly of the principalities and the powers when Jesus at the Calvary means he brought them into the center of Golgotha. And he said, I brought you out here to drown you. You think you're watching a crucifixion. I'm drowning you right now. You think you're watching the death of a man who just thought he was a prophet. But no, I'm drowning you here. You built gallows thinking you were taking him out. I'm taking him in and I'm taking you out. And that's your turnaround, God. 
today he is for you. We're going to sing, I speak the name of Jesus. In these last few moments, it's 12.04. I'm going to ask you to begin to speak the name of Jesus. You're going to come stand in the altars, make that a place, or stand out there. But I want you to declare the name of Jesus over your situation. I want you to speak to the turnaround, God. What something, something penetrated your heart. Something encouraged you. Maybe you need a divine strategy about your family or your children. God can give that to you. Maybe you need it for your business. Maybe you need to be encouraged at what's chasing you. Can't catch up with you. I want you to turn this whole place into an altar. Everyone that will just come and stand down here and make this place an altar. Come if you will. Come if you will. Come on, let's sing it, team. I just want to speak the name of Jesus.